0: Welcome to The Future of Work Live, hosted by Mark Salisbury, author of the new book, Socrates Digital for Learning and Problem Solving. Each 25-minute episode with Mark and his guests prepares you for the upcoming new world of work. Welcome to The Future of Work Live. I'm Mark Salisbury, your host. Today, Beth Banks-Cohn is my guest and she will discuss how three minds make it right. That is how they engage all three parts of the mind to achieve transformational change. So let's talk a little bit about our guest today. Uh, Beth Banks uh, Cohn is the president and founder of ADHR Change Architects. She's an accomplished organizational consultant, senior executive coach, entrepreneur, and thought leader with more than 25 years of success in the healthcare, pharma, biotech, IT, high-tech, retail, and engineering and manufacturing industries. Regarded by many as the authority on culture, leadership, and change, Beth is a sought-after speaker and consultant on key aspects of executing organizational change initiatives that stick. Her passion for educating and guiding people have positioned her clients to feel empowered to thrive in an era of uncertain times. Beth began her, her how about this? Beth began her career at Johnson and Johnson, and over her sixteen-year tenure, she held various positions of progressive seniority. Beth holds a Ph.D. in Human and Organizational Systems from Fielding Graduate University, and Beth has authored numerous blog posts and several books, most recently an essay on the secret sauce of leading transformational change. So I I can see why we need Beth out here to help me talk. So uh, let's go ahead and welcome her to the show. Hi, Beth. Hi, Mark. (laughs) Hi. Hi. I'm glad you're here. I, apparently, I'm having trouble talking, so it's good to have someone yeah. who, who's fluent in talking to, to join us here. And, uh, I'll try my best. <laughs> let's get right to this. And uh, so let's go ahead and talk about what
1: are you know the three parts of the mind. So we've known about the three parts of the mind, actually, since Aristotle. Aristotle wrote about three parts of the mind and how they influenced how people lived in those days. Those three parts of the mind: the affective part, which we know a lot about, right? That's where we get our, uh, that's where we get our values and our preferences, and uh, and then we also know a lot about the cognitive part of the mind. That's where our skills, our knowledge, our experience lives. Then there's this third part of the mind, which we call the conative or the doing part of the mind. This is the part of the mind that we don't know as much about, and that's where our instincts lie. That's where our the things that drive us to take action. That's where they sit. And those are the Ah. three parts of the mind.
0: Oh, there it is. All right. Very good. Well, how how do these work together and uh, to to, um, really help us do transformational change? Boy, does that sound like I'm reading my parts or not? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, let's let's go right to that.
1: Yeah. So the way that this works is when you're motivated to solve a problem, your instincts kick in. And that motivation is actually from the affective part of your mind. The, the uh, instinct to, to take action in some way is the cognitive part of your mind. And how you take that action is often informed by your cognitive part of your mind, your skills, your knowledge, your experience. And so they all, all always work together. The three parts of the mind always work together. What's the most important thing to remember is that as, as organizations... Or that want to do go through transformational change, they often hyper focus on one or one part of the mind and not the other part. So, for example, they might say, "Well, we need to make sure that people feel good about this change." That's yeah. the that's the affective part of the mind. Or they say, "Oh, we just need them to have new skills." So that's the cognitive part of the mind. But we don't often hear organizations say, "Oh, we need to make sure that." the instincts that drive people to take action in certain ways is also thought about and taken care of. And, and that, I think, is where a lot of transformational change falls down.
0: Okay. Because I, I know that, you know, we put a lot into this, uh, into the cognitive area. And part of it is is that we think if people understand the need for change and we can look at it logically and rationally, then they will see that maybe they should change their behavior so it aligns with those changes that we want to have. So we're basically just focusing on that cognitive part, right? I mean, if they understand it, they're rational, it's
1: going to work. And so why isn't that that enough? It's not enough because it's only one-third of how our minds work, right? So so you may say to someone, well, if they just know the skills, then they could just take that action. But here's the thing. We take action in different ways, and those actions are often driven by our instincts. And some actions we just really almost can't even do because they're so against the way we instinctively take action. So, for example, if we tell a salesperson, well, instead of going out and talking to people and selling the product and really being able to weave that story the way you know how to do, instead of that, you have to do a bunch of research first before we allow you to go out into the field to talk to people that that is not what they do and they will they might be able to sort of do it but it's never going to be the way that they take action and so it's always you're always they're always going to be working against their grain they're going to be way less productive certainly way less happy And they won't, they'll be able to make maybe slight changes, but the changes you want them to make or need them to make are not going to happen because you haven't taken into consideration that what makes a great salesperson for you may not be in line with these changes that you want to make because you're, you're basically asking them to work against their instinct.
0: Well, you know, I'm going to take the devil's advocate here part and and go to another uh, kind of another kind of question. And that is a few years ago, Jack Welch, who is has a big following for, for uh, people, even though he's passed away, but uh, a big following for, you know, the way that he basically re-engineered GE and made him very profitable and a lot of those things. But he came out with a book called Straight from the Gut. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and if we look at your three minds, it's kind of like, well, instinct is all you need, boy, just go ahead and just go with the instinct. And then not think about the other parts. Why can't we just do that and skip those other two?
1: For the same reasons that you can't skip the other two, right? So if we only acted on our instincts, then that may or may not be what needs to happen, right? So if we only act on our instincts and we don't take into consideration what we know or our past experience, or we don't take into consideration the impact that it has, or the, the, way, the, the way people are going to feel about it, or if it's in line with our values, then we're just... We're just using one part of our mind and it, it can go awry. And I mean, and there's some people who, whose instinct is to just sort of try stuff and, and see if this will work or that'll work. And sometimes that's fine, but sometimes that can be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't, you don't want people to just be able to drive off the cliff anytime they want because they're trying to see what it's going to be like. Like you, you want them to use their instincts, but you want them to use them in concert with what are my values, How do I feel about this? What are the skills, knowledge, and experience telling me about what my instincts are telling me? And so that's why they really do need to to work all together. And so it isn't just one thing or the other. And I think over the years we've seen, oh, you know, like you said, it's just the the skills or it's just, we just have to trust our guts. But the truth is they're all missing the point, which is you have to do everything. You have to do all three because your mind is wired to work together that way. And when we say just use one part, The other parts don't know what to do. Okay. And and you've been
0: at this for a while. I know you've worked with a number of organizations because well, I read your intro. (laughs) And so (laughs) I I know you've done this. So what is what's your typical scenario when you come in? Because basically this is your message. And you feel like it's a really powerful one for organizations to hear in order to really yep. make change. So, what is it yep. that you're you're normally met with at the door when you're when you've been asked to work with an organization, and you know they need the three parts? Well, what is it normally that you, or a lot of times that you, end up facing right off the bat?
1: Well, I would say that uh, I would say that the cognitive is usually where companies lead from. And they've evolved a little bit to think about sort of how do people feel about it. But I I do think they don't go far enough in all of the different places, but at least they understand the cognitive and the affective. They often don't even take into consideration the conative or this doing or instinctive part of our minds. And so it's a bit of an educational process to talk about that and to show how they all work together. And I think that also from a cognitive perspective, Companies have really gotten into the habit to say, like you said at the beginning, well, if we just tell them what we want, then they'll be able to change their behavior. But your cognitive part of your mind doesn't actually work exactly like that. Like, we want to know why, right? So then companies say, oh, well, we're just going to tell you why. Well, we're doing this because we need to make more money or the market's changed or we have a new way of thinking about things. But but people really want to make those Sort of decisions for themselves. They want to understand your thought process, and companies often don't like to share their thought process, not because it's a secret, but because they're done. Right? They've made the decision. They want to move. They just want to take action now. They just want to move forward, and I understand it. But sometimes you have to go back a little bit so that you can make really fast progress. So I once worked with a company where they all they wanted to do was tell people what to do, and uh, and they were they they really they thought about the feelings part. But they didn't didn't think about how people were going to take action around it. And I said, okay, well, you can tell them that, but like, what's your what what's your guarantee that they're actually going to take those actions? And they said, oh, well, if they don't, then there's like there's like penalties. I'm like, well, that's fun and everything, but for you, but you know, it, it doesn't actually work. Like, it really doesn't work when you just punish people for not doing what you're asking them to do. And so I had them really rethink the whole problem using the three parts of the mind. And the solution that they came up with was brilliant and it worked brilliantly and it went a lot faster than they thought it would because they took a little time at the beginning to really think about, okay, cognition, what's the role of cognition in this? What's the role of conation of that, how we instinctively take action when we're motivated to solve a problem? What is our motivation? How are we going to get them on board from a feelings perspective so that they'll have the same feelings about the changes that we do, which is very positive. So it it really is helping people really sit down and have a different conversation and go through a different thought process in order to come up with a solution that works way better. And even though they complain sometimes that I'm making them stop what they're doing, (laughs) it does in the end move faster. So I always say, when I come into work with you, we're going to go slow to move fast.
0: Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of times people pretend like they're buying buying in, right? And they go through the motions that they're doing it, right? They're rowing away. You're telling them to do that. But yet, kind of under the radar, they're really kind of pushing back, right? And and things aren't really happening. Um, even though everything is the right talk and, and we get the right memos and, and we finish off our, our little paragraph at the end, it sounds like we've done this. And so how do you work with that? How does this three parts of the mind help you deal with this kind of false buy-in, but isn't actually authentic?
1: Well, first of all, I I love how you phrase it as false buy-in. I I usually just say that it's a resistance, right? And there's, there's passive resistance. There's passive aggressive resistance. There's, <laughs> there's overt resistance, right? There's lots of different kinds. There are lots of different kinds of resistance. When a company calls me and says... We've implemented this change. We're getting a lot of resistance. We need you to come in and help us. The first thing I ask them when I come in is what kind of resistance is it? And I often get a blank stare, but there are different types of resistance. And each part of the mind has their own type of resistance. So first you need to identify which part of the mind feels neglected, right? Which part of the mind is not buying in the way you need them to. That's usually going to tell you the resistance piece of it. And then figure out what what you're going to do about it. So, for example, if they say, "Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We're going to do that," and they start going through the motions of of uh, taking the action, but they really don't believe it. It's because cognitively you haven't convinced them, right? Or they, or they're making their changes, but they're it feels like their heart's not in it. It's it takes a lot of extra time. They don't like that it takes a lot of extra time. They feel incredibly inefficient. That's often. The affective part, because they're feeling badly, like the change was made, but it doesn't it doesn't make them feel good necessarily. And so, really being able to focus on what that is and how you can fix that, and then the and then the cognitive is often is often a, a, a huge drop in productivity. It could be a huge drop in um, in uh, people's ability to get job the job done, and also burnout is often because of the, because of um, the conative part of the mind, the doing part of the mind being having to work against your grain all the time. So it's really being able to diagnose. That's usually what I do first and, uh, and, and help people understand that resistance shows up in a lot of different ways. And, and first of all, it's a gift, right? So if you Mm -hmm. know about it, how great is that? Because then you can fix it. If you don't know about it, then that's obviously not good, right? But if you know about it, you can fix it, but you just have to figure out which part of the mind is not is not really being included um, in order to really be able to come up with a, a good solution? Okay.
0: Well, I, here's something I didn't talk to you about, <laughs> and this always makes my my uh, guest just cringe, like, what's he going to ask? But, you know, a lot of times when you have a new model or a new way of thinking about something, you look back on some kind of failure you had, or you look back on some kind of great success and you go... I now have a way to explain this. Right. So here's 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 your opportunity, because I think this is going to fit with with uh, what you're talking about is years ago is uh, I had a company and uh, we did a lot of work with the Department of Energy and the National Laboratories trying to get them to have a common process for developing things. And so all of the laboratories would have. A, a common process. And so in order to do that, whenever they were propose changes to that process, they had to work together. So I had this um, a supervisor that I was working with that was in charge of this project. And he, it, as it always is, when you're the consultant, you learn things from people, right? And so he taught me a number of things. We had trouble getting these groups to work together. And so someone would send over a change that had to be reviewed by another one of the laboratories and then sent back to the larger group and then on to the next one. And it would drag out forever. And it's like, OK, and then you would talk to people about the importance of doing this and stuff. And still nothing was really happening. And he came up on this idea is we put in metrics on how long it took for people to be able to get the request for review, turn it back around and get it to the next group. And then he posted those on the conference walls, right? And so people went over there and and then he color coded them for like green when you've done it within a good amount of time, Mm -hmm. orange, it wasn't too good. Red means you were dragging your feet. And it was amazing because people kept saying, look, this laboratory here, the cause of our problem, right? And so in just two or three months, it's like the footprint just shrank for these teams to work together. And I just looked at that and I go, that was remarkable because he never said a word about it. He just put the metrics up on the wall. They started talking among themselves. They started pointing the finger at each other. And then people that were pointed to them, they went back and fixed it. So how would you explain that for cuz I've looked at it and I just shook my head and I thought he never said a word. What
1: happened? Yeah, so I think I think some of it is is it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with I mean it has a lot to do with always a lot to do with the three parts of the mind. But I think I think holding people accountable in ways that in ways that sort of hold the mirror up so to speak, I think is is a really great tool. I think balanced scorecards, which is what you're talking about, is a really great way of doing that because it gives everybody visibility in a very simple way about what's working and what's not working, so it allows them to focus on what's not working so that the, it can be fixed and so th- th- to me that explains that is that is that he he created a way for everyone to see what wasn't working, but not in a way not in a way where he said it's you or it's you or it's somebody else, but more these are the facts, this is how it looks, right? Appealing to their cognitive part of their mind and how they felt about it when they realized that it was them, right? So they feel bad about it. And then, okay, now we're gonna solve the problem. He didn't dictate how to solve the problem. He just he just showed them that there was a problem. And so they were able to use their own instincts to their own ways of doing to fix whatever the problem was so that they could... That they could have a better position on the balance scorecard. So I think all three parts of the mind work on all all problems. Um, but I think in this case, it's that accountability piece, which um, which isn't really part of sort of the model that I talk about. But to me, is a critical part of business in general is holding people accountable and holding people holding people accountable in a way that allows them the freedom to make the changes that they need to make. So he didn't he didn't say this is how you had to do it. You have to work together. But he didn't say, this is how you have to work together, right? So they figured it out in the end, which is brilliant. Yeah,
0: I thought it was just amazing. And I knew you were going to tie this together. So good job on that. And he's just like the nicest guy. He he actually passed away a few years ago. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's just like one of those people that's just the nicest guy. And he's never going to tell anyone, you need to do this better, right? And that was mm-hmm. you know one of the things that that he recognized he didn't want to do. And I just thought it was a stroke of genius. I mean, I thought I was, you know, looking at something very profound and I still think it was, it was a very, very interesting thing. So, okay, well, yeah. let's, let's go and let's shift gears a little bit, because I know that you have, you do this for a living, apparently, this is, this is what you, <laughs> and you have a consulting business. So you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on with your consulting business?
1: Yes. So my specialty is change. So I, it is, it is my special gift that I bring to to companies and uh, and uh, what I always tell companies is when they bring me in is if you, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll be a hundred percent successful. And that is true. And so uh, and so I come in, I work with companies on changes that they want to make. They may be really challenging changes. They might be large changes. It might be expanding a business. It might be shrinking a business. Like it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that is that they want to, they want to make sure that the change happens in a way that allows them to keep their business going, and obviously add to the success of their business. And part of that is making sure that your people are happy because happy people are productive people, and so they they care about that, not to the detriment of the business, but to have it really be part of and parcel of the plans that they want to make. And so I come in and I work with them. I work with them on the strategy on how they want to do that. I work with them on, on creating a plan and I can, I stay as an advisor to help them implement the plan. When I come into a company, I also, they do the work, right? Because it's their change and they're going to be there the day after I leave and I'm not. And so I want to make sure that they own the change and that they learn along the way about how to problem solve themselves. And so I work with them to make sure that that happens. Um, but, in, but in the end, it's, it's, it's very simple. You want to make a change and you think you need some help, some guidance, some, somebody from the outside helping you see what's working and maybe what's not working within your company and how to accommodate for that, then I'm your person.
0: Ah, uh, very good, very good. And as you know, our time just zoops away. I don't know what we do on this program. I think we're in some kind of uh, accelerator or something. So we just have enough time to talk a little bit about the takeaway, and it's something around. It's about in, instinct too. So do you want to just summarize your your uh, what we talked about today?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it is the most important thing to remember. Is that it's not just about how we feel and it's not just about what we think, but it's what our instincts are telling us to do. And as long as companies expand their thinking so that it's the three parts of the mind, not just the two parts of the mind that we know a lot about, then I think they'll be a lot more successful. Because it's not just about instinct, but it is about instinct too. It's about cognition, it's about affect, and it's about conation it's about instinct.
0: Uh, Very good. Okay, well, that takes us to the end of our show. Thanks so much, Beth, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And I'll try to use the three parts of my mind for the rest of the day, I'm sure. And (laughs) so thanks again. And um, that's the end of our show. So thanks for being on it.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's been a real pleasure.
0: You can find the Future of Work live episodes in video and podcast format on www.marksalisbury.com. Additionally, YouTube hosts the video episodes on the Future of Work channel, and Apple, Spotify, and Google host the podcasts.